This is Baseball Tonight, the podcast. This is the Baseball Tonight podcast for Wednesday, October 4th, 2023. And today will be better than yesterday. I'm Buster Only, working from my hotel in Philadelphia. Tonight we've got game two of the series between the Marlins and the Phillies at 8 o'clock on ESPN. Sarah, Taylor, Bruce, all working from back in Bristol. Uh, I-, I was saying as we got started, guys, today feels like the ultimate overreaction day of 365 days. Game one of a best of three series. Taylor, what jumped out at you? Oh, my God. The line is is so thin. I mean, like two days ago, the Brewers were, you know, World Series sleepers. And now it's it's over. Brandon Woodruff's hurt and and they're done. The snakes have it. You know, that's I can't wait to get into all that sort of stuff today. All right, Sarah, what you got? First day reaction. I mean, my Phillies won. So as a lifelong fan, I am here to overreact and say we're going to win the World Series as a lifelong Phillies fan. Uh, And well, and I I was my pick before him, but I would say this. I'm going to blame you and all other Phillies fans for my hearing this morning, which is not good. Okay, (laughs) after being inundated with that for four hours last night. And Bruce, what do you got? First day reaction. Two things. The Minnesota Twins crowd how incredible they were for during the beginning of that game. And okay. also the fact that there was just baseball on all day. I, I can get used to that. I know we're not, it's not going to be going on for more than more than today, possibly the end, end of today or tomorrow and uh, Thursday. But I mean, Hey, I'll take it as long as they'll give me. Well, and we get it next week too. Cause remember True. we still, yeah, we'll have four series, but I agree with you. We were talking about that, how much fun it is, uh, is we're talking with the managers last uh, yesterday before the game, you know, meeting with Rob Thompson, meeting with Skip Schumacher. We've got those other playoff games on in the background. That's that's kind of cool. You walk into a clubhouse uh, before the game. Players are watching. That's really cool. I mentioned we had the Phillies and Marlins on last night in the bottom of the third inning. It was 0-0 and Alec Bohm broke the tie for Philadelphia. Here's the 2-0 and a liner over to third. That's past Berger and down the left field line of base hit. Rojas comes in to score easily. The ball caroms all the way off the wall and into shallow left. Boom is into second and the Phillies are on the board. It's 1-0 Philadelphia over Miami in the bottom of the third. All of our sound today, courtesy of ESPN Radio. Zach Wheeler was amazing. He was totally dominant. We're going to talk about that with Xavier Scruggs coming up here. Uh, here was a sound as he got through one, two, three in the top of the sixth. And the National League batting champion, Luis Arai, swings at the first pitch, grounds it to Turner at short, who throws across his body to Harper at first, and another one, two, three inning for Zach Wheeler, who's thrown 72 pitches through sixth. And yet it felt like that the Marlins were just hanging around, which is what they did all year. So many amazing comebacks got them into the playoffs. They were hanging around in the top of the eighth inning. Runners on base, Jose Alvarado on the mound. Alvarado brings it home, and a swing and a miss, strike three, and the top of the seventh is over. The light stanchion above the video board in left flashes the letter K, the ninth strikeout of the night by the Marlins. They strand two. And the Phillies added their lead in the eighth inning. No one hit down the line into left. That's a base hit. A couple hops off the wall. Look out for Harper. He's around second. Lost his helmet. Scampered around third. He comes home and he beats the throw. And Nick Castellanos slides into third. Philadelphia grows its lead here in the bottom of the eighth. The Phillies four and the Marlins one. Yeah, Bryce Harper running through a stop sign. And by the way, did you guys notice we talked about it on the broadcast? Nick Castellanos at one point got to second base and I was like, Oh, my God, did he just flip off the dugout from second base? 
No. In fact, he was holding up his ring finger like, give me a ring. Give me a championship ring. And this was the first step. I was kind of relieved, Taylor, when I saw, you know, on the replay, because we were like, oh, Nick, do we have to talk to you about making gestures like that on television? No, it was all about the ring. I was surprised because I really thought it was his middle finger as well. I, I was blown away that that was something he does, but it makes way more sense uh, that he wanted the ring. Yeah, we talked about it on in between innings. I the, like talking to our, pro, our producer, Andy Jacobson, like, oh, did you guys see the thing with Castellanos? Because I thought initially that he flipped them off and they were like, no, 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 it was his ring finger. I'm like, well, let's show that. Let's yeah. show a replay of that when we come out of commercial because there are probably people confused about that like I am. So it was really cool. Uh, you know, nice moment there. Phillies wind up winning this game four to one. Zach Wheeler, six and two thirds innings. He was terrific. He was asked after the game, does he feel like he does he get recognition as an elite pitcher? I just feel like I'm, you know, doing my job, honestly. Um, you know, that's that's why I came here and that's why the Phillies saw me was to pitch like I am. So um, maybe some people didn't expect it or, you know, were scared of it at first because of my history, but um, I knew what I was capable of and um, you know, it's been fun. It's been a fun ride and, you know, making it to the postseason, there's nothing like it. And I just try to do the exact same thing. But, you know, I think this my adrenaline and everything comes up and it just plays a tiny bit more. And sometimes that helps you. Here's Rob Thompson, the Phillies manager, talking about Wheeler's ability to pitch in the postseason. Yeah, he did it. Uh, he did it all last year in the postseason, too. So um, him and Nola have uh, they've been in some pretty big games in the last couple of postseasons. So, um yeah, he's, he's a guy that you can lean on to give you some length and, and give you a quality outing. You talked about Harper running through that stop sign. No, uh, no. He just, <laughs> he's just so aggressive. And, uh, you know, he, he wants to win. He wants to score. Uh, it's, it's not like I tell him, hey, if, if uh, somebody tells you not to run, go ahead and run if you want to. It's not, we don't do that. But he's just so instinctive and, and so aggressive that, uh, you know, he sometimes he runs through stop signs. Diamondbacks and Brewers, and it was 3-0 Milwaukee, top of the third inning. It looked like they were in a great spot with Corbin Burns on the mound. But Corbin Carroll brought the Brewers back into it. The 1-1. Carroll swings and a fly ball to right. Going back is Taylor. He looks up at the track. It is long gone. Corbin Carroll, a blast to right center. And the rookie gets the Diamondbacks on the board. 3-2 Milwaukee. That ball was destroyed by Corbin Carroll. It was Roxy Bernstein on ESPN Radio who was just getting warmed up. 3-2 Milwaukee. There's a drive to right off the bat of Marte. And it's a tie game. A low line drive home run into the right field bleachers. And Marte has gone back to back with Carroll. 3-3 in the third. In the next inning, uh, Gabriel Moreno, who's establishing himself as one of the best catchers in baseball, went really deep. Swing and a ball hit out toward left center field and deep. Off the bat of Moreno. It is gone. A home run clears the bullpen in left center. And Gabriel Moreno has given Arizona a 4-3 lead. And the Diamondbacks went on to win this game 6-3. After the game, Corbin Carroll spoke with Jesse Rogers. Corbin, I need to know what that was like 
your first playoff game, it probably exceeded your expectations. Yeah, big one for us. Um, you know, bullpen really held it down there for, you know, a long time. Uh, offense had some, some huge hits. Um, you know, played, took care of the ball on defense. Made some, some ex actually, some pretty good plays on defense. <laughs> yeah, Evan Longoria, tell me about his plays. Yeah, that was unbelievable. Um, you know, that, that one reaching up there, I thought that ball was in left field, and I looked back, and he's got it, throwing it to second base. So, um, you know, that, that's a game-saving play right there. Take me inside the dugout down 3 nothing early. Yeah, I mean, I think just business-like. Um, you know, can't can't change the game with one three-run swing. You know, got to get some runners on and, and make some things happen. And then, you know, those big swings kind of happen from there. Um, yeah. It's a great game. Congrats. Thank you. So uh, let's go a little inside baseball. We had Corbin Carroll on the podcast in spring training, if you guys remember Taylor. And remember how thoughtful he was? And, you know, the, the you know, he'd pause be before giving an answer. And I was thinking as I was listening to Jesse conduct that uh, terrific interview that for Corbin Carroll, like this is all very new, like a postseason interview. They're trying to capture the emotion. <laughs> it's not it's not something that comes naturally for him. I can hear how nervous he was doing that interview. Yes. Yeah, he was very, very steady, but he did. You know, he didn't. He didn't realize he didn't have time for those pauses. So I know it was really clicker. cool. You could feel like the the combination of his emotion and uh, you know trying at the same time trying to give thoughtful answers. So anyway, it was uh, that was pretty cool. Corbin Burns, the Brewers pitcher, talked about failing to hold the lead. Yeah, I mean the the offense did a great job coming out and, and swinging the bats and scoring runs early. Um, and I just did a poor job after that of uh, you know, executing pitches. It's really it's really all it comes down to. Um, when I was executing pitches the first couple of innings, we got quick outs and um, a lot of ground balls, some strikeouts. Um, and then when I stopped executing pitches, um, you know, they didn't miss. Yeah, you could almost like hear at the beginning like, "Yeah, I stunk." All right, Rangers and Rays and Jordan Montgomery made an incredible catch on a bunt. Here's the pitch. He squares. Pops up a bunt. Montgomery off the mound. Dives. And he made the catch. Siri did try to drop one down. And Jordan Montgomery springs to the first base chalk and hangs on for out number two. Yeah, that from, uh, of course, ESPN Radio. The Rangers were leading, and the Rays are throwing the ball all over the place. Righty to lefty, first pitch. Swinging a line drive into center field, falling fast in front of Siri, and it caroms off his glove off a hop. Carter races around and scores. Siri's throw sails at third, goes into the Rangers' dugout, and it will score a second run. Semyon trots in, and it is now 4-0 Rangers on the first pitch from Davinsky in the sixth. And that would be the final score. The Rangers who lost the American League West on Sunday take game one of their series in Tampa Bay on Tuesday in front of 19,000-plus at the ballpark there. Kevin Cash, the Rays manager, Talked about his team's struggles against Montgomery. Well, he's been on a pretty good run. He got ahead. It felt like he got ahead of everybody. It's kind of what we preached our pitchers to do everything you can to control the count and get ahead. He did that, and he's got good stuff. I mean, the fastball, he commands it to the inner half of the plate, and he went away with it. Both the curveball, changeup, cutter, they all complemented each other. He, he pitched a good ball game for him. Bruce Bochy talked about Montgomery. You know, we had some guys that didn't you know, have to get up. I think we had Sporzy up, and that was pretty much it. So that's what the starter does for you. And 
anytime you're in a, a series like this, that's that's always a good thing when you start your he does a great job and gets you deep in the game the way he did and you know, Chappie, nice job, Leclerc. So it's really great effort by him. Brandon Sarah Lang's friend of the podcast, Bruce Bochy. The twins played host to the Blue Jays yesterday. And Royce Lewis, who is a question mark whether or not he was even going to be on the active roster in this series. It felt like over the weekend, man, he had himself a game. And the pitch. Swing a high drive, deep left field, backing up Barsha on a run, turning. It's gone. Home run. Royce Lewis will touch them all. A two-run shot to light him up here in Minneapolis. Swinging a high fly ball right field. That's deep. Backing up Springer. He's turning. It's sailing, and it's gone. He has done it again. Royce Lewis, for the second time in his first postseason game, has hit it out of the ballpark. This one the other way. What a start for the kid. And that was all the Twins needed. They beat the Blue Jays in game one, three to one. Royce Lewis spoke with Alden Gonzalez. Hey, Royce, I know you guys have much bigger goals, but 18 consecutive playoff losses was a big deal in this city. What do you think it means to this city? What does it mean to this team that we no longer have to talk about this again? Absolutely. It means a lot, and it means a lot that the fans encouraged us, and they had that energy for us. They brought it, and, and we brought it for them. You went two weeks trying to treat a hamstring strain. You played today. You weren't sure after yesterday's workout if you were going to be able to play in this game. You popped two home runs. How did you do it? You know what? It was the fans. It was all these guys, man. I, I truly thank you. Thank you so much. And I think we're just going to feed off that energy and, and keep going tomorrow. We saw Pablo Lopez pitch a great game. We saw some great defensive plays at first base and center field by Michael Taylor. Griffin Jacks did a great job getting out of the eighth. What was the biggest difference for you think in terms of holding this lead today? Our pitching staff's been doing this all year. So it was really special. And we put some runs up there for them. And, and they showed us how we can win the game. You have a chance to go to the Division Series tomorrow. What are you thinking? Man, I'm going to be honest. I'm speechless right now. This crowd is special. Thank you, guys. Thank you. Thank you. Kevin Gosman of the Blue Jays talked after the game about his slow start. Obviously not one of my best starts of the year. You know, um, walking the leadoff hitter of the game is, is never how you want to start off. And, you know, looking back, obviously a, a lot of too many pitches thrown and too many deep counts. You know, made an adjustment in third, but, you know, it was kind of too late at that point. Now, in the midst of this game, there was an amazing play by Carlos Correa where he uh, picked up a ground ball that was in the third base hole and threw home to cut down Bo Bichette. Rocco Baldelli, the Twins manager, talked about that play. That should be shown everywhere, over and over again. The anticipation, knowing that that's, that's one outcome that could happen. The ball could end up where it ended up. You know, getting there. You know, getting down, making the play. It, those are awkward plays. You never practice that play, ever. And it's a play that, again, I'm going to enjoy watching in the future. And I think every, every baseball fan, it's just a hell of a baseball play. And if you like watching the biggest players making the biggest plays in, in the biggest games, then you should go watch that play. It was, it was fantastic. Taylor, what else you got? Buster, we got a new episode of the College Game Day podcast out today. Reese Davis still on ice with the sore voice so we've got ryan mcgee at the helm again with pete thamel and bill Connolly. they're talking about which team might get left out of the playoff can kentucky beat georgia and a very serious in-depth discussion on the texas state fair menu they break it all down on the college game day podcast you can listen to that on this application that you're listening to the podcast right now or on youtube 
We're driven by the search for better. When it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search, match with Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of the show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash Buster. Just go to Indeed.com slash Buster right now and support our show by saying you heard about Indeed on this podcast. Indeed.com slash Buster. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. For the ones who get it done, Granger offers high quality supplies and solutions for every industry, as well as access to product specialists who have the knowledge and experience to answer your toughest questions. Plus, their commitment to being your safety partner can help you keep your facilities safe and your people safer. Call, click Granger.com, or just stop by. Welcome to the show! Welcome to the show. Welcome to the show, mate. Welcome to the show. Whoa! Welcome to the show, baby. You're in the show with David Schoenfield. David Schoenfield, the covers baseball for ESPN. Dave, how you doing on this Wednesday? I'm good, Buster. I'm just so happy for Twins fans. The streak is over. Great first day of the postseason and uh, just excited for the rest of this month. All right. I must say, I thought about this this morning that, yes, uh, uh, the day after opening day, we talk about overreaction day. No, the day after game one of the wild card series <laughs> is the ultimate overreaction day, right? Because you and I can make proclamations today that'll come back and bite us within 24 hours. Right? We could declare each of these teams that have fallen behind 1-0 dead. We could say that the team's going the other direction. They're in great shape. Who knows, right? But we're going to have some fun with the ultimate overreaction day uh, after the first games. First off, let's talk about uh, what uh, the scene was like in Philadelphia last night. I feel good about, you know, picking the Phillies to win the World Series before the postseason started. Man, Zach Wheeler looked awesome. Yeah, I picked them to, to make the World Series. And uh, when I did my list of ranking the players in the postseason, one thing I wrote was, I think Zach Wheeler would be my number one pick of a starting pitcher in this postseason. Yes. And he looked like that guy last night. Of course, he had a great postseason last year. Um, and, you know, look, we know the Marlins. They're the weakest offensive team in, in the playoffs. But Zach Wheeler is an ace. He's a number one guy. And he's going to do what he did last October once again. I thought the uh, the Phillies managed their last six weeks brilliantly with their staff. Uh, you know, the thought process of giving all of these guys extra rest, because you remember the postseason last year. I mean, they, they came within two wins of winning the World Series last year, and Zach Wheeler struggled throughout the postseason. You could see it. Like, yeah. He was 
he was having to grind through and it like he was out of bullets by the end. Yeah. And last night, on the other hand, you talk about rhythm. He was just dominant. Yeah, that's a good point. And I, and I know I just mentioned he had a good postseason last year. I think his ERA was 278. But you're right. By the World Series, he was clearly gassed. Um, and I know last year he didn't throw 100 pitches. In any of his playoff games, I think he hit 100 on the nose last night, but he looked really strong. And you're right. Last year, they were battling just to get into the playoffs. This year, they cruised in as that number one wild card. So you're right. Rob Thompson was able to kind of, you know, relatively rest all his pitchers. And the bullpen, too, Buster, is a lot deeper than last year. I don't know if it's the best bullpen but it's pretty deep, and Jose Alvarado was throwing some, you know, nasty cutters oh, last man. night. It was ridiculous. Yeah, that one pitch, who did he strike out? Yuli Gurriel, you know, came up as the go-ahead run, and he just threw that 94-mile-an-hour cutter on the outside corner. No, Babe Ruth, Barry Bonds, nobody, Willie Mays, nobody could have hit that pitch. It was unhittable. You know, the key for me is going to be Craig Kimbrell, you know, he, you know, pitched a scoreless ninth. Can he do that all, all postseason? You know, what's interesting. I was talking with a pitcher with another team yesterday, and he mentioned to me that there's not a single team in the postseason that has an absolute lockdown closer situation. Yeah. Not one team where you go, yeah, that's a Mariano Rivera type thing where you're like, yeah, yeah that guy, every team has a question in the ninth inning. Yeah, it's a really good point. And we, we know, look, Houston's bullpen carried them last year. Absolute domination. But even Houston, Ryan Presley, you know, has has kind of struggled down the stretch. Um, so you're right. It'll be interesting which bullpen gets hot. We saw that with the Braves in 2021. Their bullpen, not great in the regular season. Lights out in the playoffs. So a great bullpen can come out of nowhere for one month. So maybe the happiest guy about how good Zach Wheeler was last night was Dusty Wathen, the third base coach for the Phillies. Uh, we were saying, man, he, he was one of those games and he's a terrific third base coach, but you know, and I know all the talk radio, if they had lost that game would have been about that, about Dusty Watson with decisions early in the game, whether to send Schwarber on that fly ball to right field, uh, the play where a runner gets thrown at home plate by jazz Chisholm with nobody out, uh, at home plate, Nick Castellanos, I think kind of looking back as uh, over his shoulder, like wondering what happened. Then Bryce Harper running through the stop sign and, and being <laughs> safe on a play that wasn't even close. Yeah, no, hey, this is what makes the postseason so great is yes. suddenly the third base coach can become one of the most important figure, figures on a team. So you're right, not a great game there for Waffen, but uh, they pulled it out. So, yeah, Philly talk radio, man, I can't imagine what that would have been like. It's probably pretty rough anyways. <laughs> you're 100% right about that. All right, what about – tell me what uh, you saw in the Rays and Rangers series – Besides the obvious, which was not very many people in the stands. Yeah, that was sad. 19,000-something. What was it, lowest attendance for a playoff game since Game 7 of the 1919 World Series? The wow, infamous Black I didn't see Sox that World. note. Jeez. Yeah, unbelievable. But, you know, like, Rays, yeah, they were sloppy. They had a terrible game. But let's give Jordan Montgomery credit. This guy is on a roll. His last four starts of the regular season, he only gave up two runs in 27 innings. He's getting that sinker in on right-handed batters. His changeup and curveball are all coming in at the knees or below. 
Um, look, he doesn't get a lot of strikeouts or a lot of swing and miss, but he's not giving up a lot of hard contact right now. Uh, you know, with Scherzer out, with Evaldi, you know, not really 100%. Um, he's clearly their, their number one starter. Yeah, at the trade deadline, uh, Chris Young, the general manager of the Rangers, you know, was very aggressive, added Max Scherzer, this ad winner after he adds for, uh, you know, adds Jacob deGrom, signs Nathan Evaldi. Uh, I'd say this, you know, when the cases of some of the guys they invested in, these are guys with injury histories and they broke down, so we're not surprised. Jordan Montgomery is turning out to be one of these guys is, you know, the dust clears through all these guys getting injured all around baseball. That's the type of pitcher now, if I'm a general manager, I'm investing in. Somebody who knows how to pitch, changes speeds. You know, he's like it. Uh, on my flight into Philadelphia, uh, I looked two seats up, and there was Jamie Moyer. You know, mm-hmm. I could see Jordan Montgomery being a really good pitcher for a long time now that it feels like he's figured it out. Yeah, I kind of, I get Buster some uh, Andy Pettit vibes from Jordan Montgomery. With the big shoulders, lefty. Yeah, you know, lefty, you know, stuff kind of similar. Um, and Pettit, of course, pitched, what, into his 40s. You know, the other thing from that game, this rookie left fielder for the ring, Evan Carter, is going to be an absolute stud. He's been done nothing but hit since he came up in September. Two for two yesterday with two walks. One of the hits, Yandy Diaz should have made the play. Could have been ruled in error. But Evan Carter, he's batting ninth in that lineup, and he can flat out rake. So, are you, uh, as you and I talk, are you giving the Rays a chance to get back into this in the over in the theme of overreaction? Uh, yeah. Look, of, of the four series, they're the ones I would say is most likely to to come back and win. Never bet against the Rays. They'll throw that game out. They know they had a bad day. Um, you know, they still have a, a good lineup, a great bullpen. Um, home field, it's kind of a weird home field advantage, even without the fans, but they usually play well at home. So, yeah, you know, and the, the Rangers, look, their pitching, other than Montgomery, hasn't been that good down the stretch. I love the fact that uh, casual baseball fans who might be tuning in the playoffs for the first time get a feel for Corbin Carroll. Yeah, what a, what a great player he is. Yeah, I mean, you know, not a lot of fans are watching the Diamondbacks much during the season, so it was nice to see him on the national stage yesterday, show his power, show his speed, um, just a terrific all-around player. Certainly plays with the confidence of a 10-year veteran rather than a rookie. How much of a blow do you think it was the Brewers to lose on the eve of their series, Brandon Woodruff, and then lose a 3-0 lead with Corbin Burns on the mound. I got to believe mentally that's going to be tough. Yeah, that was the biggest loss of the day because now the Diamondbacks have Zach Gallon and Merrill Kelly. They were the one team that didn't have their rotation lined up since they had to fight just to get in on the last weekend. Um, and, yes, yeah, so it was on paper, that was a big starting pitching mismatch, and Corbin Burns had a great year. But he has those games. He had a couple games this year where he gave up four home runs and three home runs, and he gave up three yesterday. Uh, so, yeah, that was a tough blow for, for Milwaukee. You talked about the Twins winning uh, their, their first playoff game in, God knows, what, 19 years uh, and how big that was. I, I think that's why it was so important that Royce Lewis gave him a lead early. Yeah, it was – look, you know, he hadn't played since, what, September 19th? Yeah, yeah. I mean, look, it all – Let's be honest, Buster, it helped. They weren't playing the Yankees. 
you know, the team they always lose to. But yeah, so, you know, big props for Lewis for, you know, not playing for more than, you know, for almost a couple weeks and hitting two home runs and, Look, he, what did he do? He drove in 54 runs in 58 games, I think, in the regular season. Uh, he was their best hitter, and he showed why yesterday. Yeah, and, and I love, you know, that play by Carlos Correa yeah. uh, where he, you know, picks up the ball and throws home. I saw Roy Smalley, you know, the former Twins yeah. uh, shortstop, said out on Twitter that that play for him is comparable to the Jeter play back in the, what, the 2001 playoffs when he flipped the ball to Jorge Posada to cut down Jeremy Giambi. I don't know if I'd go that far because it, it wasn't like Carlos had to cover as much ground as Derek did on that play, but it shows why, even though Carlos hadn't played in a couple weeks, that Rocco Baldelli wanted a guy who has such long history in the postseason on the field to handle a moment like that. Yeah, heads up play, and I thought Bo Bichette made the right play trying to score. And I, yeah. you know, um, that's what happens sometimes. Both guys make the right play. One guy makes the better play. I saw a quote from Correa where he said something like, "I saw Bo look at the ball, and I knew he was going to try to score." Uh, so again, just a nice heads up play, and you know that was a, a huge, huge key for the Twins. All right, paint the scene as you're watching the games. What's your setup? In your man cave. Well, I went in yesterday to the office, so I was uh, there with, you know, three of our editors. We had, them, you know, the four screens so we could watch when two games were going on. Jeff Passan popped in for a few minutes when he was getting a break from uh, from TV. Uh, so, yeah, it was, so I'll go that uh, route again today. Nice. All right. Well, good to talk with you, Dave. Thanks for overreacting with me. <laughs> As always, Buster, thanks. Xavier Scruggs is an analyst for the Major League Baseball Network and for ESPN. You'll see him on baseball tonight on SportsCenters uh, through a lot of the postseason. I get to work with him next week. And X, uh, I got a game today for you, okay? And we're going to call this, you played and I didn't. You played (laughs) in Major League Baseball. I never played past high school. So I want to ask you about some things that we saw on the first day of the playoffs yesterday and I want you to explain exactly the difficulty, uh, the nuance that were involved in some of what we saw. And I'll start with this. You know, last night, by the way, good morning. I haven't actually heard your voice. <laughs> good morning. Good morning. Happy to be on here. Let's do it. All right. So I was interviewing uh, Skip Schumacher in the middle of yesterday's game. And I asked him, hey, second time through the order, uh, what adjustments do you want to see your hitters make against Zach Wheeler? And I could see that flash of look in his face like, dude, you have no idea <laughs> how good this guy is right now. Tell me about Zach Wheeler, what you saw, and how difficult would it be to hit him? I remember seeing Skip Schumacher's face when you asked him that question, and it was like it almost like, what are, what are we going to do to make an adjustment? Because he's blowing 98 miles an hour. He's got his nasty off speed. Um, yesterday, I liked that he challenged guys early with that fastball command. I think a little bit when Wheeler gets uh, 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 too much ahead of himself is when he loses that fastball command and almost doesn't trust it the way he should. His stuff was electric last night. He gave them length, and I think that's one of the biggest differences we saw in that game yesterday, knowing that the starters, even on both sides, had to give their team length. He gave the offense a chance to do their thing, um, and I love the swing and miss stuff, right? Eight strikeouts yesterday, only giving up one run. Uh, The bullpen looked good. So 
being able to give the, their team uh, the Phillies' length was huge for him, and he looked electric last night. You played, and I didn't. Tell me about the throw the Jazz Chisholm made, moving to his left into right center field, turning and throwing Nick Castellanos out at home plate. Yeah, pure athleticism, right? I think that's the one thing that we saw um, Jazz do to make that play is show off his athleticism. You don't teach that, right? Like nobody teaches come up and be off off balance a little bit, short arm it to home. We know he's an infielder that's transitioned to the outfield. That takes athleticism. We saw the same thing with Fernando Tatis Jr. If the athleticism is there, the natural instincts will come about. And we saw that with him yesterday. None of that you teach, but just to be able to pull that off was something special itself, and it helped save a run. You played and I didn't. Playing in front of a crowd like they had in Philadelphia last night, Jesus Lazardo was yanking his slider early on in that game. It was clear that the adrenaline of the moment sort of overtook him. Tell me about that. Yeah, I, I think that's something that's different within everybody, right? You just – you have to try to find a way to calm the nerves, and that's the toughest thing to do, especially when you're not in the confines of your own ballpark. Um, you're not as comfortable, right? You know that the fans are going to get on you. We saw it when you interviewed Jazz Chisholm. They was booing him, and he was, like, enjoying it. But that's kind of the pressure that comes along with this situation is you have to find some way to take a step back and breathe. Now, the one thing I will say is – he allowed his team to, to have an opportunity, right? They didn't get blown out within yes. this game. So you still look at something to take away that's positive from this as an athlete moving forward. Oh, I agree with you. I'm looking forward to talking with him later today, talk about that start, because I thought he battled through it. Yeah. And I, you know, we, you and I have seen uh, you know, Hall of Fame caliber pitchers overcome by the adrenaline of the postseason. For me, Roger Clemens you know, was uh, the greatest example of that. Uh, I saw your tweet earlier today about Jose Siri, the Rays making defensive mistakes, Siri being one of the players trying to come back after a lengthy absence. You played and I didn't. Tell me about that. Yeah, a couple things with that. Questionable to me to have Jose Siri try to bunt with a runner on third, runner on first and third in the second inning. Jose Siri hit, hit 25 home runs this year. Like, let the guy swing the bat. So I had question marks with that with Cash. And that maybe told me a little bit about his ability to swing the bat, too. You remember he had a fractured hand, hasn't played for a while, and then we saw him in the outfield. He just didn't look like him, his normal athletic self. He kind of nonchalant came to a ball that ended up overthrowing it and cost his team a run. Also, a ball that he normally catches at the wall it hit off the heel of his glove. I don't think he felt comfortable physically or mentally yesterday. The defense was horrible flat out for the Rays. It looked like something like a Little League team. We expect much better out of the Rays. They've got to be better defensively going into today, today's game behind Zach Eflin. You played and I didn't. You're in a playoff game, biggest game of the year, and 19,000 people show up. Does that have any kind of impact if you're a guy with the Rays? I don't think so if you're with the Rays, just because this is something that you're used to, right? If you're in the postseason and you can't get yourself hyped up enough to play a game, then you shouldn't even be out there. This doesn't cut this not has nothing to do with the fans at this point. You've got to be able to go out there and take care of business. Plus, the Rays are used to this. They don't get fans all the time. They don't get fans every day. Uh, but you still got to find a way to show up. And you're in an elimination game now. It's it's win or you go home. You've got to take care of business today, and they've got to bring the bats. That's one thing, too, is the Rays' bats rank right behind the Texas Rangers. 
So if there's got to be some some force moving forward, it's got to be the sticks got to get going to give Zach Eflin some some support behind him. I mentioned to Dave uh, that former shortstop Roy Smalley tweeted out, he of course played for years with the Minnesota Twins, tweeted out that he thinks the Carlos Correa play yesterday should be talked about in the same vein as the Derek Jeter flip play because of how instinctual it was, how remarkable it was in execution. Tell me what you saw. It was absolutely ridiculous. It, it, the one thing that people forget is that he made that he made that play coming off of the plantar fasciitis injury. So to see the speed that it took for him to get to that ball, understanding the heads up play as well, knowing he had no business even being in that area, same thing like Derek Jeter back then. So to get to that ball, be able to make that throw on the run to show off the athleticism, throwing it sidearm and to make a perfect throw. Like I say perfect because the where the ball was caught was in a position in which the tag could be applied easily. Like could have just left the glove there and the tag would have been applied. That was a perfect play by Carlos Correa. I got to agree. We, we got to talk about that more. Yeah, he, uh, Carlos, just the, the level of confidence that he has, I love watching him in the postseason because you know, like Jeter, who I covered for four years, he assumes he's going to succeed in those moments. Yeah. That's the way Derek was. Mariano Rivera was like that, and Carlos has the same mentality. Uh, tell me, uh, because you played and I didn't, Corey Seager is a hitter. To me, as an amateur, it looks like he's swinging a tennis racket when he gets into these <laughs> situations. What do you think? He's so smooth. I mean, that's probably the best way I've heard it put, right? Just the the smoothness of a tennis player, the way he swings the the bat. Um, it, it's almost like he wakes up out of bed. He's able to repeat the same swing. And I think that's the tough thing as hitters to do is repeat our swing over and over again, no matter where the pitch is. And you can tell he's he's mastered that. And I think that's because of routine. It's because of what the time he puts in before the game that we don't even see with him working on the little details of his swing. Um, it shows up big in the game. And we see it. We've seen it all season long. Right. You think about a guy that if there was no Shohei Otani this year, he's winning the MVP on a minimal uh, uh, amount of games. Like, he didn't even play the full season. So I think about the production that he had. He's bringing that into the postseason. The Rangers are going to have to continue to ride him because he's been one of the biggest offensive answers for this team all season long. The only time I sensed any nerves in Corbin Carroll yesterday was in his post-game interview with Jesse Rogers, okay? (laughs) Corbin Carroll, you played and I didn't. Tell me about him. I mean, the, the maturity level of this kid is is uh, beyond belief, right? You think about, um, to me, the ability to go out there, hit 25 home runs during the course of the year, to steal the 25 bags. I think that brings confidence into the postseason, right? And I think you know as a player that you have some helpful pieces around you. Cattell Marte, he hit, he went deep yesterday. Gabby Moreno went deep yesterday. You look at Christian Walker, he's been doing it all season long, did it off of Devin Williams. I think Corbin Carroll doesn't believe that he has to be the guy. And I think that gives you ultimate confidence to go out there and play, go out there, be athletic, do the things that he does. He's going to be an impact player anyway, right? He has so many tools that he doesn't have to stress one specific tool. He can impact the game in so many different ways. Corbin Carroll set the tone yesterday. All right, X. I get to see you next week, get to work with you next week. Thanks for doing this. No, thanks for having me. Let's get it. You can now stream the most MLB games on DirecTV without a satellite dish. Yes. 
The clutch hits, the strikeouts, grand salamis, web gems, with nothing on your roof. So whoever's up there, whether it's roofers, Santa, birds, old-timey chimney sweeps, moody teenagers, thrill-seeking raccoons, you name it, they won't find a satellite dish. But you will find your MLB games on DirecTV. That means DirecTV is your home for baseball this season. Root, 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 with nothing on your roof. Call 1-800-DIRECTV or visit directtv.com. Sign up today. Claim based on total games carried on sports networks. Sports availability varies by zip code and requires choice package. Dogs are an important part of our lives, and keeping them protected is a top priority, especially against nasty parasites. That's why you got to check out NextGuard Plus, a Foxaloner, Moxidectin, and pyrantal chewable tablets. NextGuard Plus chews provide one-and-done monthly protection that kills fleas and ticks, prevents heartworm disease, plus it treats and controls roundworms and hookworms. That's a whole lot of protection packed into a delicious beef-flavored soft chew designed to make monthly dosing easy and enjoyable. So the next time you're at the vet, ask about NextGuard Plus chews. They're the one-and-done monthly parasite protection you want for your dog. Used with caution in dogs with a history of seizures or neurological disorders. Dogs should be tested for existing heartworm infection prior to starting preventive. This is the Numbers Game with Sarah Langs. Sarah Langs, reporter, producer from MLB.com. Sarah, how you doing on this Wednesday? I'm doing great, Pastor. How are you? I'm doing great. I was telling Dave, I feel like that, uh, you know, that the, the day after game one of the wild card series, that should be national overreaction day versus <laughs> the day after opening day, right? Because we could, we could can theoretically write off all these teams that have made the playoffs today. Yes? Oh, absolutely. I mean, you see a team win one game and you're like, okay, they'll probably win it all. That's how it goes now. Well, do you realize that it's only October 3rd, now October 4th? There's a lot of baseball left, but, you know, I'll take these overreactions over opening day because these are meaningful games, and it's just so much fun. All right, so when I wake up in the morning, I'll see the tweets that you have overnight, which probably ended at like 4 o'clock in the morning, <laughs> where you're picking up different things. I mentioned to Dave, I was so relieved or I guess we talked about at the top of the show. I was so relieved that Nick Castellanos didn't give a middle finger <laughs> to his dugout. He gave a ring finger because I initially thought it was a middle finger. What about you? I mean, this was just the most perfect postseason Phillies, Nick Castellanos kind of storyline. As it played out, you know, I'm sitting here doing stats for the game for you guys. And they hear our producer, Andy Jacobson, and people going back, looking at the video, finding an angle, a good way to show, no, that's the ring finger. And Carl pointing it out on it. But the postgame quotes were incredible. Guys like Kyle Schwarber and Garrett Stubbs, they cave saying, yeah, we, we thought he was flipping us off. And then we grabbed an iPad and the dugout. Turns out he wasn't. That makes more sense. And Cassiano said to Corey, it's like, yeah, of course. Why would I flip off my teammates? 
But he said post-game, he said it just kind of you know, came to him in the moment. This is what we're fighting for. But somehow the entire fact that like half the internet, even for a minute and a half, thought he was flipping people off on live national TV. And then it turns out he's saying, no, we want that ring. It was just so perfect. And, you know, I feel like we wouldn't want it any other way. Well, and what was funny about this, and you remember hearing this, is they were scrambling to find the angle to show him showing his ringer finger rather than his middle finger. One of the complicating factors was he punctuated all of it by looking into the dugout and saying, let's effing go, of course, <laughs> using the whole word. So you're like, okay, that's good. He didn't give them it. Oh, this is what he said. <laughs> anyway, it uh, it was in, I'm sure, an interesting and a great night for our production crew in the Phillies broadcast. All right, let's play the numbers game. Number three. Number three is three. So Zach Wheeler was outstanding last night. I know we ran into a bit of trouble in that seventh inning, but those first six innings were absolutely incredible. And that was exactly why the Phillies went out and signed him when they did. He has done this for them time in and time out in game one during the series. And this one now, his third career postseason start at least six innings allowing one or zero runs. That is tied for the third most in Philly's postseason history behind only Steve Carlton and Paul Hamill. And yes, there's more rounds now and all of that, but even still, the fact that he's done that in one postseason plus one game is really incredible. Number two. Number two is, we'll go with two. We have to talk about Royce Lewis. I was so happy for Twins fans and for him with that multi-homer game. They get rid of all the ghosts and the shake, do all that. When he hit the first home run, it kind of felt like, you know, the rookie. I know he's an older rookie, but the rookie saying, I don't care about your history in a really, really good way. So he became just the second player in Twins and Center franchise history with a multi-homer postseason game, joining Gary Gaetti in 1987. But Gaetti comes up again because he is the third player in postseason history to homer in each of his first two career postseason play appearances, joining Gaetti and Emma Longoria in 2008. So for all the Twins' recent postseason history, and whatever else you want to say, there are three guys who are home in their first two postseason play appearances, and two of them are Twins. Number one. Number one is, we'll go with 23. So I was still, I don't know, energized watching Bruce Lewis and watching what the Diamondbacks did yesterday. First of all, it was the only game where the team that scored first did not win. And the big reason why was two young guys, 23-year-olds, on these baby Diamondbacks. Corbin Carroll became the youngest Diamondbacks player to homer in a postseason game at 23 years and 43 days. And then Gabriel Moreno, who's just about 200 days older than that, who became the second youngest Nymex player, Tomer, in a postseason game 
Gabriel Moreno was the youngest catcher to homer in any postseason game since Buster Posey in 2010 in the World Series, and he was the second youngest catcher to homer in his postseason debut, behind only a 21-year-old Brian McCann in 2005. So this is who the Diamondbacks were, and I know some people saw them get down 3 nothing early and said, okay, game over. But this is who they were, that young, resilient, and everything. And how about Evan Longoria, by the way? You have two guys who are 23 years old carrying the offense in this game. And Longo says, don't worry, guys, I got the defense. At 37 years old, just a few days before his 38th birthday. That was uh, that's pretty cool. And knowing, you know, Longoria, when we uh, we had the Diamondbacks on Sunday at baseball recently, Tori Lovello, you know, talked about, uh, you know, him and, and what he's meant to the team. Pretty cool. And I approve of any note that involves a buster. OK, so, Sarah, I had a fun conversation with Kim Ang, the Marlins general manager. And of course, I always uh, whenever I talk to her, uh, I always feel like you have part ownership there to some <laughs> degree. Uh, for lack of a better way to describe it, because of the pride that you feel when you share an alma mater with someone, like all the Vanderbilt players, I always feel like I got a part of them. You probably feel that way with Kim since you're both University of Chicago products. I do feel that way, and I would say, I mean, you have so many Vanderbilt players saying your hat <laughs> on. There's so much left. The University of Chicago has, of course, produced Nobel Prizes and what have you, but not a whole lot in the sports world. We have Jay Berwinger, the first ever Heisman Trophy winner. We have Amos Alonzo Sack, the very, very legendary. I haven't heard player. much from those two lately, by the way, on social yeah. media. Yeah, they're not trying much because this is a very long time ago. So if we talk about modern sports history... We have Kim Ng, and so, I mean, when I learned about her, and, uh, you know, when she was working in the commissioner's office, and put him and two together, that she went to the University of Chicago, I've always felt that sort of surprise. So, anytime I can say go Maroons, with respect to her, I will, and I, you know, just very, very excited to be able to do that. All right, I showed her that, uh, that article that I texted to you last night with that picture of her as a shortstop University of Chicago. I stand by what I said, ugly uniforms, ugly uniforms. By the way, she has that picture. Oh my gosh. I mean, she was a really, really good player, by the way. She wasn't just on the team. She was like award-winning and leading the team. I like the maroon. I'm partial. I'm nostalgic for college. But, you know, maybe the current uniforms are a bit better. <laughs> right. <laughs> Thanks, Sarah. I'll be talking with you later. Thanks so much for having me, Buster. Bleacher Tweets. Alrighty, Buster. Bleacher tweets for a Wednesday. Gotta say, weak batch of Bleacher tweets after four really good games yesterday. We got two in here and yeah, not even really about the game. We're overreacting all over the place. Where's the overreaction tweets? I wanted I wanted some Jays fans crying on the hashtag, you know? That would have been fun for me, but I guess we can't have that every day. So we'll <laughs> uh, we'll read what we got, and I challenge the, the listeners to uh, to write some questions in uh, for tomorrow's show. We got Andrew Campbell, our pal, Real Camp Drew, sticking with us. Hey, Buster, can we 
give a little love to Kim Ang out in Miami. It seems like every year the baseball world underestimates the Marlins. Ang was a, uh, was able to accomplish something Brian Cashman, Heim Bloom, and AJ Preller all couldn't reach the postseason. Yeah, made trades at the deadline. Uh, you know, talking about that offense a couple of years ago, we uh, we lionized uh, uh, Alex Anthopoulos for making the deals that gave the the Braves the the, the players they needed to win that World Series. You know, from Jock Peterson to Jorge Soler, Eddie Rosario. And we were saying before our broadcast last night in our conversation that, man, you look around, Jake Berger and Josh Bell and the players they added really changed the trajectory of their season with the offense. And I love my conversation. The first time I'd ever met Jake Berger was yesterday. What I, I mean, you know, a guy who grew up, he acknowledged to me that, uh, that his favorite sport growing up was hockey. Like he was a hockey player. Jacob Stallings, who's the backup catcher for the Marlins, mentioned to me that like when when uh, Josh, uh, excuse me, when uh, when Jake Berger takes like a foul ball off his shin, or you know he uh, you know has a little hamstring strain, and they you know the trainer comes out and he's like looking at him like in, in hockey we don't even think about coming out. What are we doing here? Like you know that's Jake Berger's mentality. A fun team, and and uh, Josh Bell, not surprisingly, has had a big impact on the other players on that team. Next up, and our last one for today, Brian Barnard at Barnard Collects writes in, will Major League Baseball team hire Hideki Kuriyama as manager in the hopes he can help land Shohei Otani? I also, maybe not this guy in particular, but like, could you see a team signing Shohei and then him having a say in their managerial decision? Oh, my God. You talk about the ultimate tail wagging the dog situation. Oh, that would not be good. <laughs> Very Shohei, uh, though. But who knows? I mean, it wouldn't be the first time that it... Uh, you know, that that necessarily happened. Um, but I, I, I don't think among the teams we talked about, like Dave Roberts is not getting fired as the Dodger manager so they can uh, hire his manager, uh, Otani's former manager, to to just get him to the Dodgers. They're not doing that. I think most of the teams that we talked, Scott Service of the Mariners is safe. Well, you know what? Giants just fired their manager. <laughs> They're so desperate for Otani that they could make a move. Brian, maybe uh, you know if someone in the Giants front office hears this, they could be inspired by your idea. Yeah, might as well go out of the box. I mean, it is they call it a sweepstake for a reason. You got to buy your ticket. And, yeah, but here's the problem: What happens if you hire the guy and then Otani picks another team? <laughs> right. Yeah, yeah. Well, then you have to be a package deal. Yeah, for sure. All right, that's it for Bleacher Tweets. Write some questions in tonight, everyone. It's game two across all these series. Going to be a lot of fun. Very excited for this and for your broadcast tonight, Buster. That's it for today. My thanks to Dave, Sarah, Xavier, Bruce, Sarah, and Taylor. Have a great day, everybody. Thanks for listening. Stay safe. And remember, hate and inequality based on skin color is something we need to fight against every single day. Dogs are an important part of our lives. That means protecting them from parasites. Ask your vet about NextGuard Plus, a Foxaloner, Moxidectin, and Pyrantal chewable tablets. NextGuard Plus Chews provides one and done monthly protection against fleas, ticks, heartworm disease, roundworms, and hookworms. Plus, they're delicious and easy to give. Use with caution in dogs with a history of seizures or neurological disorders. Dogs should be tested for existing heartworm infection prior to starting a preventive. Ask about NextGuard Plus Chews.